to say, y'all have moved up from the uh, mobile chapels. <laughs> but I'll tell you, this is nice. Um, appreciate Brother Sammy inviting me to come. My wife and I didn't make open house. We were we were on a trip someplace, and uh, but uh, but it's good to be here. My goodness, I told Brother Sammy, said this is an easy bunch to preach to, so I can see why he's been here so long. You know, it's a it's a real privilege. This morning, I have stolen. I'm going to tell you up front. I have stolen my sermon title. I took it from Mark Hitchcock. The sermon is called, When Will the Believing Be Leaving? That's a good title, right? I mean, it's worth stealing. You know, you know take the good stuff, leave the stuff that you don't like. Um, I don't think most preachers, you know, they steal stuff. They won't ever tell you, but I'll at least, I'm going to at least tell you, see. I, don't want, I love the newsboys. Uh, my goodness, that's me up there. Isn't it? <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> I'm feeling so sorry y'all have to look at that. <laughs> They may just have to turn it off right halfway through here or something, you know. But uh, the uh, newsboys that were singing uh, with the Billy Graham uh, thing was talking about the coming of Christ. And I was about to have a little spell down here on the front row because uh, I got to think, that's what you're talking about this morning. Uh, biblical prophecy is, is an important subject. I don't know whether, I don't know whether Brother Sammy preaches on it, so I forgot to ask him, what are you preaching on? Usually I ask him and then I try to stay away from that area. But um, it seems like we're not hearing as much about biblical prophecy as we used to. I mean, when I was coming up, uh, when I was courting my wife and, and we were preparing to go off to, to Bible college and, and seminary and everything, there was a great focus in America on, on biblical prophecy. And all of a sudden, you know, at least I don't, maybe you do, but I don't hear much at all about, uh, about biblical prophecy anymore. And uh, I feel like there's some, maybe some confusion and uh, some conflict because of uh, different opinions about the subject. And, and so pastors just, you know, we don't like conflict. And we just stray away from stuff like that. But uh, the Bible doesn't avoid the subject. Uh, the Bible has a lot to say. In fact, I, I read one place, it's estimated 27% of our Bible is prophecy. And f- with regard to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's at least, uh, by one count, the one I saw, 133 prophecies about Christ. Only 109 of those were fulfilled at his first coming. So there's a lot of biblical prophecy that's yet in the future. And... Uh, that's 224 to be fulfilled at his second coming. And, uh, and since the writers of Scripture, they, they thought this was a good subject. They thought this was something important. And I think it would be good for us maybe this morning to think about that. And, um, I didn't give the uh, technical people back there a bunch of uh, any verses because I don't have a text that we're going to stay in. We've got a lot of text. So if, you've got, if you take notes, write it down. If not, flip in your Bible. Uh, you, you can kind of follow along because it's gonna, we're going to cover a lot of stuff this morning. I want, I want first of all, talk to you about the source of confusion. There seems to be a problem with people when they talk about the, the coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. And it seems like sometimes they just kind of get it all mixed up together. And I want to try and, and, and bring that in a clear way. I think part of the problem is that, that and we do this kind of inadvertently, we interchange the terms. 
when we talk about rapture, and then sometimes we'll talk about the second coming and we'll refer to the rapture as the second coming or refer to the second coming as the rapture when they're actually two separate distinct events. And, and the Bible's very clear, I think, about that. So we've got to learn, and we Baptists learn, at least most Baptists I've been around, we learn a little slow, you know. We need to learn that to be more specific. When we're talking about Jesus coming for his church, for his bride, we need to use the term rapture. When we're talking about his coming to establish his kingdom, we need to talk about his second coming. Those are two separate and distinct things. For instance, the rapture, folks don't like that term. Did you know that? A lot of folks don't like that term. You know the reason for not liking that term? They say, well, Brother Gina, it's not used in the Bible. And that's right. Did you know the term rapture is not in the Bible? But the concept is. The word, the Hebrew word, if you want to write me the, the Greek word, if you want to write it down, is harpazo, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O, harpazo. And you can see it in, um, for instance, 2 Corinthians. There's, there's several places I can refer you to. But in 2 Corinthians, let's uh, chapter 12, verse 2. 2 Corinthians 12, 2 says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, Paul's talking about himself there, was caught up to the third heaven. The word harpazo is translated in that verse as caught up. That's the rapture. That's the snatching away. That's the catching up of the people of God. It's also found in like Matthew eleven twelve. Uh, where it says that the, the kingdom of God is taken by violence. I mean, literally, there's not going to be any resisting. When the trumpet sounds, the angel shouts, the people of God are going to be gone from this place in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's what rapture is talking about. Rapture involves only the church, the bride of Christ. It's, it's that group of people from the day of Pentecost, as I see it now, just, if you don't agree with me, it's okay. We Baptists disagree on a lot of things, but it's from the, from the day of Pentecost till the rapture. That is the group that's going to be caught up, whether they're dead or alive. Uh, it's those who have trusted Christ for salvation. Those who are resting in him. Those who are a part of the Bible calls them his bride. For instance, if you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verses 16 and 17 says this. Uh, this is a New King James Version. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ. Those who have trusted him in a personal way for salvation will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, there's our word again, harparzoed. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So it's only for the church. When you talk about the rapture, you're talking about the bride of Christ. The groom is going to come and he's going to call his bride to himself and there's going to be a great heavenly celebration. The rapture was, was not revealed in the Old Testament. It was something that was unknown. 
Uh, in fact, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about it there. He says, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery, if you know, if you've had that term defined in the Bible, a mystery is something that is being revealed now that has not been revealed previously. Paul said, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Something that, that you didn't hear about when you read your Old Testament. And that and he goes on to talk about that we shall not all sleep, that we're not all going to die, not all believers are going to die, but we're everyone going to be changed. And that's at the rapture. So we need to keep that terminology in our mind when we talk about Christ coming for his church. Now, the thing you need to remember, folks, there, there aren't any signs. We talk about signs of the end of the age and the signs of the times, or the signs of the return of Jesus. There are no signs for rapture. Rapture is what we call, the term he uses, imminent, with an I, imminent. That means any moment. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to be right in the middle of a worship service when God would, would sound the trumpet and Jesus would call his church to be with himself and you wonder how many seats would still have people in them. Because you see, if you're here this morning and you've never made a personal decision to trust Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of sin and been born again into God's family, you ain't going. You're going to be left right here. The rest of God's people may be gone and you're going to be looking around and say, they let out and I dozed off, where'd they go? That's the rapture. No sign. It's just going to happen anytime it's imminent. And also it's instantaneous not going to be a process. It's not going to be drug out over any time. The Bible says it's like, it's like the twinkling of an eye. Quicker than a blink. One moment we're here, the next moment we're there. What a great thing to look forward to. It's imminent and it's instantaneous. The Bible says it's going to happen. So when we talk about this blessed hope, this glorious appearance, this receiving of the church to himself, we need to talk about rapture. And we need to keep that distinct from what I would call the return. And there's a lot, there's a lot of differences between the rapture and the return. For instance, when Christ returns, second coming, it's going to be like the first coming. It's going to be to the earth. He's actually going to be here. Uh, Zechariah clearly says that. If you want not to note that, it's Zechariah 14.4 says this. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. Now, we, we visit the Mount of Olives. Some of you have been there. It's an incredible place to go and to stand and to realize where you're standing was the last place that Jesus stood before he ascended back to the Father. Remember, he's caught up in the clouds and the disciples were standing there, you know, daydreaming like a lot of disciples do. And the angel said, you know, you men of Galilee, what are they all doing here? You got work to do. You've been sent. Now go. But that, that same place that he left from is the place he's going to come back to. And he's literally going to stand on the Mount of Olives. He's going to return there. In the rapture, he does not come to the earth. He comes in the air to receive believers to himself. 
So when Christ returns, it's going to be to the earth, whereas the rapture's in the air. He, also, it says when he returns, he's going to return, and I don't miss this, with his saints. With his saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. Listen to what it says. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and the Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We're coming back with him, folks. There's going to be a kingdom set up for a thousand years, and there's going to be a ruling and reigning over this earth. It's going to be different than anything that's ever happened in history. The rapture is for his saints. The return is with his saints. And the return, when he returns, will result in the removal of all unbelievers. Now, this is basically a sermon in and of itself, and we don't have time to do that this morning. But when you have time, go back and read Matthew 24, and specifically around verse 39. Remember, this is where Jesus is teaching about, about his coming. And he is saying it's, it's going to be just like it was in Noah's day. And when, when he comes, he says, it's like, it's like when the flood came and took them all away. Now ask yourself this question. When the flood came, who got taken away and who got left? Did the righteous people get taken away? No. Noah and his family, eight of them, were in an ark and they were secure in God. And who got taken away? The lost people got taken away. And we started the earth with all believers. Kingdom's going to be the same way, Jesus said. When he comes, all of the wicked, the unrighteous are going to be taken away. And we're going to start the millennial kingdom with all saved people. The return is going to be uh, to remove unbelievers and to bless believers. Folks, the re return of Christ involves so many signs. Uh, you can read them in Matthew 24. Uh, it's there. He says, these are just the beginnings of the birth pangs, the signs that are coming. The return's going to be visible where the rapture is not. Uh, we are told that uh, literally Matthew 24 and verse 27, he says, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Every eye is going to behold him. The Jews are going to repent. They're going to fall on their faces before the glory of, of the Messiah. The Shekinah that comes, that sign, I believe, is going to be the glory of God coming in the heavens. And the Jews are going to recognize that. And there will be a tremendous turning in faith to their Messiah Savior as he comes. And he's going to establish that kingdom that he's promised to David. So the return is going to be visible. Revelation 1-7, it says literally, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Whereas the rapture's unseen. One moment we're here, the next moment we're Jesus. Dead in Christ, rising first. We're caught up to meet him in the air. The rapture is, is just before the seven years of tribulation. The return is at the end of that seven years and right before he establishes that 1,000-year kingdom that he has promised. So we need to keep those terms separate. Rapture, 
returned. You with me so far? He's still awake. That's a good sign. But let's take a minute and talk about some of these views of the rapture because not everybody agrees. That makes, makes an interesting world, doesn't it? The fact of the rapture is seldom debated. Most people, you talk say, you believe in rapture? Yeah, I, the majority will say, yes, I do. But when do you think it's going to happen? That's where we begin to, to run into problems with each other. I guess the key issue is this question. Does the church, the born-again believers, those who know Christ, those who have established a relationship with him, do they go through any, all, or part of the tribulation? That's the issues. That's, that's, what, that's where folks divide up. That's where, they, that's where they struggle. Some of them think, well, you know, we're going to be taken out before. Some say about halfway through. Some say at the end. Some say a little bit along the way. Well, we need to think about that a bit because actually we're going somewhere with this. So y'all just hold on. The tribulation is seven years of God's wrath. In the Bible, it's called the 70th week of Daniel. 69 of those weeks were fulfilled when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the back of the donkey. I could give you the date. I didn't have it down. It's somewhere in April of, of around 33, I think. Anyhow, there, you can figure it out from Daniel. So that is the end of the 69th week, but we still got seven years, a week of years left, and that's called the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Those of you the Bible students know that that week is divided into two parts, right in the middle, three and a half, three and a half. With me? Tribulation period, seven years, three and a half years, preparation or birth pangs as Jesus calls it. And the last part, trust me, you do not want to be here. It's called the great tribulation. So terrible, nothing as bad as you can look at all the stuff that's gone on in this earth. You can look at the Holocaust and the six million Jews being fed into the furnaces in 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 uh, Germany, or you can look at uh, what's been going on in, in Africa with uh, literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people being butchered and killed. That's going to be a picnic compared to that last three and a half years when God literally pours out his wrath on this earth. It's going to be a terrible time. It's called the Great Tribulation, or the tribulation of the great one, Matthew 24, verse 21. So let me give you the, the four views very quickly. First of all, there's one that's called pre-tribulation rapture. Well, that makes it simple. Pre is before, tribulation is the tribulation period, the seven years. The rapture happens before that seven years starts. Now, that simply teaches the church will be removed from the earth before the tribulation. Now, the reason the people object to that, they only have two, and they're kind of weak objections. I'm glad they are. One objection is this view didn't come into vogue until the early 1800s. Well, there's a lot of things in the Bible we didn't learn right away. And that, I think, was one of them. Although I can take you back and show you some of the church fathers who I believe held a pre-tribulational view of the rapture. 
The other objection is that it makes the second coming two second comings, one for the church, one to the earth. He does not come to the earth. That's the point. He comes into the air and receives the church to himself. So it's really not a second coming until he stands on the earth. That's the only two objections for the pre-tribulation. Mid-trib is this, simply that the, the church is going to go through that first three and a half years. That's, it's not going to be real bad. And so the church has to go through that. And then at the midpoint of the tribulation period, when the abomination of desolations, remember that, is set up in the temple, Jesus said, watch for that. When you see it, you better flee. They believe that when that happens, then the church will be raptured. That's mid-trib. Now, there's two problems with that. Remember our word? That Jesus could come any moment. What's that word? Imminency. Remember? Okay. The imminent coming of Christ is denied by mid-trib. Because you got to wait. Can't get raptured until you see the idols set up in Jerusalem. Abomination of desolations is set up. Got to wait till then. So it can't be any moment. It can't be unexpected. It has to wait for that sign. It denies imminency. I think that's a pretty strong, to me, it's a strong argument against it. Also, the Bible clearly says that it's, we will not experience the wrath of God. Why? Why will the church not experience the wrath of God? Now think about it with me, okay? I know it's Sunday morning. I know you're not supposed to think till Sunday night. Why won't the church experience the wrath of God? Because, think, who hung on a cross and allowed God to pour out his wrath on his son in our place? He suffered where we should have suffered. He bore the, the punishment for the sin that we should have borne. God's wrath fell on his son that you and I might have forgiveness of sin and might have the, we might be excluded from the wrath of God through him. You see, if God puts us through wrath, it's double jeopardy. We've been punished for a punishment that Jesus has already accepted for us. Now, I do not believe there's any way that, that God's going to put his people through that. Revelation 6.16, New King James Version says, And they said to the mountains and the rocks, and this is, this is in the first half of the tribulation, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath is not going to be poured out on us, folks. It's already been accepted by our Savior. Then there's the post-tribulational group, which says that, well, the church is going all the way through the tribulation. And, and then at the end, he's going to catch us up and bring us back. Catch us up, bring us back. Just, that's the way they look at it. Catch us up, bring us back. Uh, I have several problems with that particular view. One is, uh, of course, it denies, what's our word? Imminency. It denies the imminent coming of Christ. You've got to wait until the tribulation period's over before you can have a rapture. But also, it puts the church in the wrath of God. And really, there's just no way that I can see that happening. 
Then there's a, then there's the folks who believe in a, in a what I'd call a partial, partial rapture. They say that that as we get more spiritual during this tribulation period, as that it refines us like fire and it refines us and we grow closer to the Lord. And when you get close enough, then he'll take you and be with him. Now think about that a minute. What's the church called? The bride of Christ. And if, if, if some are raptured now and some then and some along the way, you're literally ripping the bride of Christ apart. And, and, and that's, that's not even biblical. It doesn't, it doesn't really uh, even compute. If you, if you think about it, uh, th- take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51. And actually, I don't have that. I've got to flip to it myself. Hold on, I'm going to get there. You've already read it, haven't you? I should never tell you until I get there. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. For the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You see, the whole body of Christ, the whole church, is going to be caught up at one time. The only requirement for that happening to you. Well, Paul's pretty clear about it. It's in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ. There it is. Did you get it? Did you get it? Where? The dead in Christ. What's the qualification for rapture? Is it going through part of the wrath of God, being purified, hoping that you'll get better and better so that you can get... No. To be in Christ. That's all. How do you get in Christ? Faith. Trusting Him as your Savior. Being born again to the family of God. Having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who unites you to every saint, every believer. We're all part of that body, the body of Christ. So I I don't see a partial, and you can tell, I'm I'm a little, I'm pre-tribulational. I think Brother Sammy is also. So why be a pre-tribulational believer in the rapture of, of the church? Let me give you three quick reasons and we will, we'll call it a day. How's that? That sounds fair. Three things. One, of this, one is this, what I call the missing church. You know, you would expect if the church were to go through any part of the tribulation, you'd find that in the book of the Revelation. Wouldn't you? Well, when you go to the book of the Revelation and you begin to, to read, you find out that, that the word church is used 20 times. 20 times the word is used in the book of Revelation. 19 times chapters 1 through 4. 1 through 4. I'm sorry, 1 through 3. Chapter 4 is after the rapture. 
and you do not see the word church again the last time it's used at the very end. Church is never mentioned in that graphic description of the wrath of God and the tribulation and all the things that happened during that time. Church is not to be found. You know why? Because we're at a wedding ceremony and a celebration in heaven. We're going to be there with the king and, the, and we're going to be there with our bridegroom. And we're going to be celebrating him as the bride of Christ. And then I would call uh, the second thing the removal of wrath. If you look at your Bible and you're honest about it, you'll find that God has always removed his people before an outpouring of judgment. Noah, what did he do? He took care of them. Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the bargaining with Abraham? And Abraham said, well, you know, he finally got down to 10 people. There weren't even 10 righteous there. But what did God do before the, before the fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah? He removed Lot. Lot was one of the most spiritual guys you've ever been around. But he removed that family before his wrath fell. And by the way, this is not even in the sermon, but let me tell you, they have found recently in the, uh, the, the down by the Dead Sea, they have found pottery fragments that have literally been crystallized by the intense heat. Degrees of temperature unknown, even with a volcanic eruption. They can't explain it. <laughs> I can't. Amen. So if you, if you think about that, that's the promise he's made to us. Uh, he's told us that well, for instance, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, I love this. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm not even thinking about going through the tribulation. I'm thinking about rapture. I think he's going to come. And from what I'm seeing happen in our world, I believe it's very soon, my brother. All right, that gets us pretty close to the end. One more thing. I believe in the imminency, that any moment coming of Christ. Let me give you three verses and we'll close. Philippians 3.20. The word of God says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You also, James says in chapter 5, verse 8, establish your heart for the coming the Lord is at hand. We have something absolutely awesome to look forward to. I'm going to tell you what, folks, it's been 2,000 years. And God works in amazing ways of putting a certain number together. And I believe it's close. I believe it is so close. 
you could almost hear that distant trumpet sound. And I would ask you this morning, are you ready? And some of you say, yes, Brother Gene, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I know I'm, I know I'm born again. I know if the rapture would take place, I would go. Can I take you one step further this morning? In John chapter 1, in 1 John chapter 3, I'm sorry. John says this, Beloved, now, right now, this very moment, we're the children of God. It hasn't been revealed what we're going to be. But this is what we know. that When he comes, when he's revealed, we're going to be like him. And we're going to see him as he is. Do you believe that? Amen. Well, then hear what John says. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. We have an obligation to live godly lives till we see him. We need to ruthlessly deal with sin. We need to to desire with all of our hearts, if we are truly saved and we really have that hope, to live a Christ-like life. And that's the challenge. Some of you might say, well, Brother Gene, I'm I'm not a a believer this morning. I've heard this stuff before. I'm just going to wait. You know, and, and I see this stuff beginning to take place. I'm going to get saved. No, you're not. We don't have time to do a whole other series. The Bible clearly says if you've heard and understand the gospel and you've not accepted Christ and the rapture takes place, you will believe the devil's lie. You will be lost forever. What a sad thing. And I would say to the Christians, invest your life now. Invest your life for Christ. Pay whatever price is asked because it's worth it. And live a life of godliness with the hope of his soon coming.